Hello and welcome to the Books by Old Dead Guys podcast. I'm David. I'm Scott. And this is episode 16. 16, bro. 16. And we are back in Richard Baxter's The Reformed Pastor. Uh, We're picking up right where we left off last time. Uh, So that's in somewhere in chapter 2. Yeah, uh, it's hard to find stopping points. So we started uh, the first sub-point to talking through pastoral ministry and the call to shepherd the flock and some controversial statements about church sizes. Mm -hmm. And then he Mm -hmm. picks up this. If you're looking for it, there's this one-sentence paragraph that felt like a good place to stop. Or at least, is it, is it one sentence in yours, Yeah, David? it is. Okay, cool. That's what I was after. I think that that's a pretty good place. So I'm going to pick it up there. We ready? Let's do it. All right, here we go. But it may be said there are others to teach, though only one have the rule. To this I answer, blessed be God it is so, and no thanks to some of them. But is not government of great concernment to this good of souls as well as preaching? If it be no, then what use is there for church governors? If it be, then they that nullify it by undertaking impossibilities do go about to ruin the churches and themselves. If only preaching be necessary, let us have none but mere preachers. What needs is there then to stir such about government? But if discipline in its place be necessary too, what is it but enmity to men's salvation to exclude it? And it is unavoidably excluded when it was made to be his work that is naturally incapable of performing it. The general that will command an army alone may as well say, let it be destroyed for want of command. And the schoolmaster that will oversee or govern all the schools in the county alone may as well say, let them all be ungoverned. And the physician that will undertake the care of all the sick people in a whole nation or county, when he is not able to visit the hundredth man of them, may as well say, let them perish. Yet still it must be acknowledged that in case of necessity, where there are not more to be had, one man may undertake the charge of more souls than he is well able to oversee particularly. But then he must undertake only to do what he can for them, and not to do all that a pastor ordinarily ought to do. This is the case of some of us who have greater parishes than we are able to take that special heed to which their state requireth. I profess for my own part, I am so far from their boldness that dare venture on the sole government of a county that I would not for all England have undertaken to be one of the two that should do all the pastoral work that God requireth in the parish where I live, had I not this to satisfy my conscience, that through the church's necessities more cannot be had. And therefore, I must rather do what I can than leave all undone, because I cannot do all. But cases of unavoidable necessity are not to be the ordinary condition of the church, or at least it is not desirable that it should so be. O happy church of Christ, were the laborers but able and faithful, and proportioned in number to the number of souls, so that the pastors were so many, or the particular churches so small, that we might be able to take heed to all the flock. Having noticed these things which are presupposed, we shall now proceed to consider the duty which is recommended in the text. Take heed to all the flock. It is, you see, all the flock, or every individual member of our charge. To this end, it is necessary that we should know every person that belongeth to our charge, for how can we take heed to them if we do not know them? We must labor to be acquainted, not only with the persons, but with the state of all our people, 
With their inclinations and conversations, what are the sins of which they are most in danger? And what duties are they most apt to neglect? And what temptations are they most liable to? For if we know not their temperament or diseases, we are not likely to prove successful physicians. Mm. Yeah, so <clears throat> it seems like uh, Baxter is here coming coming up against a... Uh, a rebuttal, a rebuttal that he thinks he's going to get to what he said previously, of, mm-hmm. which was previously in the last episode we talked about how he had mentioned that flocks should not be larger than a pastor can care for. Right. Flocks should not be larger than a pastor should know. And so it seems like there's this, uh, he's perceiving this, this rebuttal, this reply that says something like, uh, but is not government of so great concernment to the good of souls as well as preaching? So it seems, and maybe I'm off the track here, but it seems like his, uh, this supposed reply is, well, there's so much, I, I have to be about the business of preaching. How can I also be about the business of knowing the flock? It seems yeah. to be that... It, would you agree, Scott? I would. Yeah, I think I think that's exactly right, David. I think there's this there's this underlying. He understands that most of us as pastors would immediately object to this by going, "But there's so much to do." Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, you know, it, it's it's not like you know this is this is not easy work. Mm-hmm. You're you're talking about a lot here, Richard Baxter. Yeah. Like, do you not know what I'm responsible for and how many people I'm responsible for? So you're exactly right. It's it's a it's the government of the church and discipline and preaching and all these things that go along with the day-to-day work of ministry. And, and the, the person objecting doesn't see how you could possibly get all those things done. Yeah. Yeah. And so he, he talks about the, the general that will lead the army alone mm-hmm. may as well say it'll be destroyed for want of command. Yeah. Let them be unled. Yeah. That, 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 when he is, when he is unable to lead all of these people, he is just sentencing them to being consumed by the enemy. Right. You know that that no no good general could lead an entire army on his own. Right. And and I think for me, the hopeful part of these paragraphs was he acknowledges this that it is a lot. It's a lot of work, and he also says, and sometimes it's too much, and you can't get it all done. So you get done what you can, because yeah. getting done what you can is better than getting nothing done. Yeah. And, and so, you know, and that's an encouragement for us. There are a great many uh, men that I know. I mean, I'm finishing my day today, um, having not gotten everything done on my list of things to do. And, and that's okay. It'll, it'll, I'll, I'll work on it again tomorrow and I'll work on it again the next day. And that is just how things go. You know, that was, it's a hard, it's a hard thing because you never get your to-do list done ever mm-hmm. in ministry. If you do, then you're probably not quite thinking about ministry in the way that you ought. Uh, but, but he says in these paragraphs, that is, that is true. And there are going to be some times where you're just completely overloaded, completely overwhelmed, and your, your congregation may be too large and your eldership too small. But he wants us to understand that those things ought to be the exception yes. and not the rule. And I yes. think that's the key right there. Is he says, sure, there may be occasions where the church has outgrown its eldership, there may be cases where congregation is, is too large for one pastor or two pastors to care for all of them. Those, those things may be true, but those are not good goals. 
That's not the way things should end up. Like our goal should not be to have this church that is so big that you don't know anybody, that mm-hmm. you don't know everybody, actually, that pastors together cumulatively thinking in terms of eldership. You know, it's not, it's, there's no way, even now, with the size of the church that we pastor, David, there's no way that you and I are both going to know everyone equally. Mm-hmm. But between the two of us, we should both know everybody. We mm-hmm. should together, I didn't say that quite right, cumulatively, we should know everybody. You know, we should know something about the lives of the people that we're ministering to. And that's, that's, that's encouraging because I think he realizes he's, he's hitting pretty hard here. And so he's like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, you can definitely tell when he says, at least, uh, I must rather do what I can than leave all undone because I cannot do all. Exactly. You know, that he, 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 he comes to this, it calling it a concession doesn't quite seem right, but it's almost a concession of there are some of you out there who cannot do all of this, right? but do what you can. Right. You know, don't, don't use, I can't do this all as an excuse to just throw up your hands and walk away. Yes. Or to leave things as they are. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Okay. So that's important. So, so summarizing what we've read up to this point, Mm -hmm. Richard Baxter's big take home is you should know your people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he says it best, I think, in the last sentence. For if we know not their temperament or disease, we are not likely to prove successful physicians. Correct. You know, it, it is hard for your doctor to, to uh, prescribe well to you it, when he does not know what is wrong with you. This is true. I would be very nervous <laughs> if the doctor walked in with, like, an encyclopedia of medical conditions. <laughs> you started giving symptoms, and he's like, hold on, let me look it up. You know, because you, you expect that he's going to know the human body. Well, likewise, the pastor should know his flock. And that's going to be important because he's going to kind of build off of that foundation going forward yeah. in this chapter. Okay, here we go. Being thus acquainted with all the flock... So, what was just saying? We must afterward take heed to them. One would imagine that every reasonable man would be satisfied of this and that it would need no further proof. Doth not a careful shepherd look after every individual sheep? And a good master after schoolmaster after every individual scholar? And a good physician after every particular patient? And a good commander after every individual soldier? Why then should not the shepherds, the teachers, the physicians, the guides of the churches of Christ? Take heed to every individual member of their charge, Christ himself, the great and good shepherd, that hath the whole to look after, doth yet take care of every individual, like him who he describes in the parable who left the ninety and nine sheep in the wilderness to seek after the one that was lost. The prophets were often sent to single men. Ezekiel was made watchman over individuals and was commanded to say to the wicked, Thou shalt surely die. Paul taught his hearers, not only publicly, but from house to house. And in another place, he tells us that he warned every man and taught every man in all wisdom that he might present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Many other passages of scripture make it evident that it is our duty to take heed to every individual of our flock. And many passages in the ancient councils do plainly show that this was the passage practice of primitive times. But I shall quote only one from Ignatius. Excuse me. Let assemblies, says he, be often gathered. Inquire after all by name. Despise not servant men nor maids. You see, it was then considered as a duty to look after every member of the flock by name, not accepting the meanest servant man or maid. But someone may object. The congregation that I am set over is so great that it is impossible for me to know them all, much more to take heed to them individually. 
To this I answer, Is it necessity or not that hath cast upon you such a charge? If it be not, you excuse one sin by another. How durst you undertake that which you knew yourself unable to perform when you were not forced to it? It would seem you had some other ends in undertaking it and never intended to be faithful to your trust. But if you think that you were necessitated to undertake it, I would ask you, might you not have procured assistance for so great a charge? Have you done all that you could with your friends and neighbors to get maintenance for another to help you? Have you not as much maintenance yourself as might serve yourself and another? What thought it will not serve to maintain you in fullness? What though, I'm sorry, what though it will not serve you to maintain you in fullness? Is it not more reasonable that you should pinch your flesh and family than undertake a work that you cannot perform and neglect the souls of so many of your flock? I know that what I say will seem hard to some, but to me it is an unquestionable thing that if you have but a hundred pounds a year, it is your duty to live upon part of it and allow the rest to a competent assistant, rather than that the flock which you are over should be neglected. If you say that is a hard measure, and that your wife and children cannot so live, I answer, do not many families in your parish live on less? Have not many able ministers in the prelate's days been glad of less with liberty to preach the gospel? There are some yet living, as I have heard, who have offered the bishops to enter into bond to preach for nothing. They might but have the liberty to preach the gospel. If you shall still say that you cannot live so meanly as poor people do, I further ask, can your parishioners better endure damnation than you can endure want and poverty? What? Do you call yourselves ministers of the gospel, and yet are souls of men so base in your eyes that you had rather they should eternally perish than that you and your family should live in a low and poor condition? Nay, should you not rather beg for bread than put so great a matter as men's salvation upon a hazard or disadvantage? Yea, as hazard the damnation of but one soul, O oh, sirs. It is a miserable thing when men study and talk of heaven and hell and the fewness of the saved and the difficulty of salvation and be not all the while in good earnest. If you were, you could never surely stick at such matters as these and let your people go down to hell that you might live in higher style in this world. Remember this, the next time you are preaching to them that they cannot be saved without knowledge and hearken where the conscience does not tell you. It is likely that they might be brought to knowledge if they had but diligent instruction and exhortation privately, man by man. And if there were another minister to assist me, this might be done, and I would live sparingly and deny my flesh, I might have an assistant. Dare I then let my people live in that ignorance, which I myself have told them is damning, rather than put myself and family to a little want. Hmm. He said quite a few things there. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he starts with <laughs> I, I'm looking I'm I'm having to flip the page and look back at the beginning of that, that paragraph because man, by the time we got to the end of it, I was like, man, this guy has covered some ground. I feel like I just got punched in the nose. Yeah. Yeah. So he starts with, you know, just various different scriptures to prove out his point furthermore that pastors should and must know the flock and so he talks about the uh, the shepherd who seeks out the one leaving the 99 he talks about paul teaching his hearers and 
Ezekiel being made a watchman. He, he talks about all these different uh, proofs from the scriptures of what he's been saying, that we must know the flock. And then, uh, and then he gets to... <laughs> someone may object. The congregation that I am set over is so great that it is impossible for me to know them all much more to take heed to all individually. And you could totally hear people saying this. Yes. I, I can hear people. I have heard men say this about their churches. Yeah. Yeah. And which is exactly, you know, he, he's doing this great thing where he's going right back to what we, one of the things that we mentioned in the last episode of God will not put upon you a natural impossibility. Yes. You know, that he's, He's already said this, but yet he still comes back around because he knows people are still going to have this objection. They're still going to bring this up. You know, I have I have a church that's too big. I, I can't possibly know everyone in my church. I just can't do it. Right. And so he says to this answer, is it necessity or is it not that hath cast you upon such a charge? Which is basically to ask the question... So why are you a pastor? Mm. Mm. <laughs> and why are you a pastor of this particular congregation? Yeah, why, what brings you here, It's almost brother? a, did God call you to this big place or not? And uh-huh. if, he, if he did not, then he says, basically, well, you just well, excused one sin by another. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, okay. if, if you're not of here by necessity, why are you here? Yep. And so... He, he goes on to bring in, you know, talking about, uh, talking about money. He talks about 100 pounds a year, uh, which I have no idea what the exchange rate would be from Baxter's time. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, but, you know, he, he talks about it and says, you can tell that people are making these objections based on money. And Baxter's first question is aren't there people in your people in your you know congregation in your parish that live on less than that aren't there aren't there people who who make it with a lot less than a hundred pounds a year whatever that might be and yet you call yourselves ministers of the gospel and yet are the souls of men so base in your eyes that you had rather they should eternally perish than that you and your family should live in a low and poor condition? You know, so he says, would you rather that the people in your parish suffer eternal damnation because you cannot afford to live on less? All right, so here we go. So I, I've been so quiet because I was very rapidly doing a, a currency conversion of 100 pounds, which, would, which is what Baxter is putting forth. Okay, 100 pounds is worth approximately, okay, in 1650, you could buy one of the following with 100 pounds. You could, it was worth 1,428 days wages of a skilled tradesman. So it's about three years' salary for the average person. And it would have bought you, okay, you ready, 15 horses, 18 cows, 125 stones of wool. Now, that's a whole different thing. I did not look up how much wool is in a stone. So some of our, some of our, some of our farming <laughs> brethren could probably help me out with that. 
26 quarters of wheat and then 1,428 days of wages for a skilled tradesman. So that's 10,351 pounds and 72 somethings. That's a, seems like a lot of money. That seems, yeah, I, I, yeah. I would, if you can, if that is roughly three years wages for a skilled tradesman, I would imagine that's a pretty good amount of money. Yeah. So considering that he's talking about a hundred pounds a year. Yeah. So that you are making presumably three times what the people in your congregation are making. And that's where that math matters, right? Because that's when, so when you get to, from that point, he starts talking about, could you not have broken off, broke off part of that and, but you know, hired yourself an assistant there, pal. Like, you know, it, it, it is, is, it's, it's not unreasonable mm-hmm. because this would have been such a higher wage than the people of the congregation were making mm-hmm. that it, he could have easily taken a part of this salary and used it to pay someone to help him do the work. And so what he's after, what Baxter's after is maybe the motivation's not because God calls you to this place. Maybe, like it's always been, a, man, this sounds really harsh. And I don't mean for it to, but it has always amazed me. 99.4% of the time, when I hear a story of God calling a guy from one church to another church, it's like almost always to a bigger church. Mm. And... And, I, I can concur with that. And in, also, some, and in some cases, I don't question that. You know what? I bet I don't question that in most of the cases. But the reality is sometimes, sometimes the reality is you just went from one place to the other so that you could make more money. Mm. Right? That's not always true of pastors. And it is not true of all pastors. No. But it is definitely true of some. Yeah. And, and it, is, it is a, you know, what does he say? He says it's better to live in poverty. Mm-hmm. Like are the souls... That you are responsible to care for are they, are they, are they in risk of damnation and hell, or are they not? That's like really what it comes down to. Like these people either need to hear the gospel, or they don't, mm. and you've got to make that decision. And so he really, you know, he's he cuts close. It, it, there's a, you know, it, it's 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 a it's a hard book to read because Baxter is so clear about some of the things that we don't typically speak clearly about in ministry, mm. which is the reality of the fact that there really are, there really are places and people in this world um, where folks go into ministry for the amount of money that they're making. Mm-hmm. You know, and there really are play times where men would say they've been called of God to be at a place and would amazingly all of a sudden not be called of God to be at a place because a new place is offering them more money. More money. Hmm. Mysterious. Yeah. And that's what Baxter's getting at. He's he's trying to help you understand. Like this is the work the work is shepherding the flock. You know, and if you look at even even the illustrations, the way they work in biblical times, and I know we're a little over, we're a little longer, so thanks for your patience. But even the shepherds of biblical times, we're not wealthy people. Mm. Like there's really a reason and, and, and even even thinking of those terms, there's a reason why Baxter is so quick to to make these connections. So, yeah, I think, I think that's it, is understanding, you know, so, so the, the, the question at the end, dare I then let my people live in that ignorance which I myself have told them is damning, rather than put myself and my family to a little want? Yeah. Like, and you can see when you, when you actually think about how much 100 pounds a year actually is, when yeah. he says a little want. Like he's legit talking about a little A want. little Not much. <laughs> yeah. Not much. Not much. 
and and in doing so, we reflect the Master who left the splendor of heaven mm-hmm. and came here without a place to lay his head. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's what it's supposed to be. So, yeah. ooh, man, good one. Looking forward to the next one. Now this, this, we got this chapter rolling. We'll pick it up again next time. Yeah, we'll see what gut punch Baxter has. For <laughs> we'll all go. We'll be less sore. We'll give it a week, and we'll be ready for the next one. All right, folks, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to us read and talk about this book. We hope that it's a blessing to you, and we really enjoy hearing the ways in which God is using this, if mm-hmm. he's using this in your life. And so if you want to share that with us, then we'd absolutely love to hear that. That encouragement's always good for our souls as well. Thank yeah. you guys so much. We'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. <laughs>